You're listening to the Career Musician Podcast with creator and host, Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. On this episode of the Career Musician Podcast with yours truly, Nomad, I have Matthew Weiss, Akon Studio Head Engineer. Additionally, working with the likes of Andre 3000, Becky G, Chris Brown, Nicki Minaj, Rick Ross, Faruko Ozuna, Ronnie Spector, Arrested Development, Cisco, Sunny Digital, and the list literally goes on. Not to mention the fact that this man continues to pump out the online tutorials. If you're interested just go to YouTube and hit the Pro Audio Files channel where you will see Matthew Weiss telling you his exact mixing techniques. Now look, folks, we all know as career musicians, we have our own identities. That's why Matthew is so confident in sharing his secrets with you because he knows only he can mix like the maestro that he is. Right here on the Career Musician Podcast. Check him out. Matthew Weiss, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Hey, man, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having Absolutely. me on. Absolutely. Matthew, I've been, you know, investigating you online a bit. And uh, first of all, we have, uh, you know, I don't know that we've worked with any of the same people, but I'm sure we might have down the line or know some of, you know, some similar people here. You've been with Akon now for a while, yeah. right? And uh, I was with Babyface for 12 years. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I was his music director and guitar player. Uh, and then just looking at your credits, you know, Chris Brown, I've done some work with, Rick Ross, I'd love to work with Rick, I haven't worked with him. But I mean, uh, Nicki Minaj, Faruko Ozuna, bro, you have a beautiful resume. And what I really like about what you're doing is you have a professional resume where you do your work, like the names I just mentioned, but then you also have like this adjunct kind of, you know, academy, online, YouTube, university type resume, you know, you're building both at the same time. Uh, you know, just starting right out of the gate, does that get difficult? Because both things are time consuming. Tremendously time consuming. I, <laughs> yeah. I make Dan crazy. Dan runs, so you're referring to the Pro Audio Files and- Yes, uh, thank you, thank yeah. you, yes. And the gentleman who runs that is a guy named Dan and he's very tolerant of the fact that sometimes I'm supposed to be getting things in and I just can't uh, because I, I, one hand has to wash the other and while ultimately I'd like to see myself as an educator, what I educate on is all the work that I'm doing and I'm not in a position where I can put the education in front of the opportunities with the engineering. So it it right. can it can become a conflict, sure. Yeah, but you're doing a great job, and you know, thank you for all of the videos you do because uh, there's so many people out there that just have a hunger for mixing, and I love the way you break it down. Very simple, very easy to understand, and I honestly I like your no bullshit approach. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, let's let's go to the beginning. Born in Philly, talk a little bit about that and how the music bug bit you. Well, my family is musicians. So my father is a bass player. My stepfather is a piano player. 
my mother is not a musician really but she's in the arts she's a sculptor uh my sister plays multiple instruments and my now ex-stepmother i guess was a jazz vocalist so wow. everybody in my immediate family was all music uh i was i was the odd man out but i really enjoyed listening to music and so engineering sort of became you know mm. what i was really doing all along which is listening okay well that's beautiful because you've definitely uh you know capitalized on your strengths and that's what i like and i don't necessarily mean monetarily i mean figuring out where you can fit in right yeah well you know we all some people get into engineering because what they really want to do is be a musician in a band or be a, a vocalist or a rapper or something like that and they just land in engineering as an artifact of what they were really trying to do and for me, I always wanted to be an engineer. That's from really from day one. It was a very natural progression. I, I kind of very quickly figured out this is my instrument. So uh, it, that That's worked. That's so cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, uh, Sir George from the Beatles, right? The fifth Beatle, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, that was probably his calling, although he was, he was a multi-instrumentalist as well. Of course, right. I am a lousy multi-instrumentalist. <laughs> I didn't start learning until I had already been engineering. And then I, I started gotcha. playing piano and bass. Oh, nice. Well, it's still, you still, you're, you're an instrumentalist still. Uh, look, you can't, you can't do what you do without having a really in-depth understanding of, you know, you music and the instruments. You have to know the instruments and you have to know right. what the musician is doing. Because if you don't know what they're going for, you can't get it there. Right, right, absolutely. Now, uh, talking about your resume and credits, like I just named off some some people here. Uh, it looks like you came out to LA in 2016. Yes, 2016. Wow, you really did do your research. You're yeah. on point. <laughs> yes, August 2016. Very nice, very nice. So, tell us about that, man. You know, one of the things that I always like to ask people is how they made the trek to you know the big city whether it's la or new york or miami whatever uh, you know in search of you know pursuing your music career even further oftentimes that can be a little uh you know daunting or nerve-wracking so how did you do it I, i'm really glad you're asking me that because i think this is really important for for the show that you do um you know people very often romanticize coming out to a place like la which is tremendously competitive and tremendously expensive and they say, I just, yes. I slept in my car until I made it. But here's the thing. <laughs> the only reason you hear from those people is because they made it. They're the exception, not the rule. So coming out without a plan, without a safety net, without your ducks in a row, I think is a tremendous mistake. And I think a lot of people make that mistake because they hear the romanticized version of it. I did not do that. I built up my contacts. I came out with a plan. And I executed that plan. Now, I also think that I got fortunate, but because I had an idea of exactly how I was going to make this work, it really increased the odds tremendously. Beautifully said. Man, I mean, like, round of applause said so well. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I did the same thing back in 2005. I was working on developing relationships out here even before I came, right? Yes. And that's, you know, you got to build that foundation. Yes. Yeah. So important. If you haven't visited LA, you can't move to LA. That's right. You have to get a lay of the land and really understand the different neighborhoods and understand the cost of living and so forth. Yeah. You know, as, just as a starter, yeah. you're gonna need friends. You're gonna need. You're gonna need right. older friends who have been through the mm -hmm. experiences 
because you're not going to always know what to do. And if left to your own devices, you can lose a lot of money. The rent out here is tremendous alone. And that's one of only a few expenses. That's right. That's right. Man, so true. So true. I mean, th little things that we take for granted sometimes if you live more in, you know, inland, so to speak, uh, like parking. If you have a house in, in Florida or in Georgia or where, wherever, right, you can park in front of your house or even an apartment. You can park in front of that apartment. That's not like that in L.A. No. Nope. Everywhere you go, you have to pay or you have to figure out, oh, shoot, I have to move my car between these hours and the right? Yep. It's definitely a challenge that and it's it you are on a ticking time bomb within the first eight months you're going you're you're gonna be in a car accident period so, <laughs> traffic is rough yeah no literally no avoiding it yeah. my first car accident out here i was stopped at a red light and somebody drove hmm. into the back of me wow wow that's crazy well so yeah definitely building a plan all right so what are some of the things that you did to devise that plan well, so this is where I, I sort of deviate what I did versus what I advise because I don't necessarily advise everybody do things exactly the same way. My plan required having some resources already saved up. So everything I did, I already did with basically 20 grand disposable. And when I say disposable, I'm using that term very loosely because it wasn't exactly disposable, but yeah. it, was, it was a personal investment. So my right. plan was to get a studio space and a decent one where no matter what, whether I was making money or not, I was just having people in the door because I knew that in order to get where I wanted to go, the most important thing I needed to do was build up my network. And that's not a quick process. That can take right. a couple of years. So fortunately, I already knew somebody before coming out here and I shared a studio with him. We both contributed to the rent. In addition to the rent I was paying, I was paying an, another 2,500 a month. Very important to, to, you know, let people know that's the real deal. Yeah. Yes. So this was this was a, a serious studio. And mind you, that covered less than half of the actual rent. But I also had a friend of mine named Shamik who just got his first, like, really, really major placement now. I dragged him out to L.A. as well. And I just nice. got him in the studio, too. I said, just come in at nights or come right. in whenever I don't have a book session and just get in there and make music and bring in your writer friends, bring in your other producer friends, your instrumentalists, bring in everybody that you want to bring in. And all I ask you do is just, you know, if you use water or toilet paper or whatever, restock it. There you go. Yeah. And, and you know, and so I wasn't making any money doing that, but because it was allowing traffic of people who were actually doing something in the door, it allowed me to start meeting people. And I met some really, really great people that way. So, you know, I, I met uh, Cadence, who started working with Ariana Grande, right. after, like right after we met. Uh, Aunt Clemens, who writes for Kanye and a million other people who signed to Rock Nation now. He was unsigned when he was using my studio. Uh, then some more established people like a uh, producer named Bongo, Gosh, it's a long list. Uh, Red Buttons, who's also getting a, a major placement now. Um, and I'm sure I'm leaving people off of the top of this. But that's also right. how I met someone named Hiro Oshima, who was the person who introduced me to Akon. Oh, that is beautiful. Beautiful. All right, perfect segue. So how did that all transpire with Akon? Because from what I understand, you started out as a technical consultant? Yes. But when I say that, there was also sort of the hidden agenda that I was going to be the engineer at the end of the day. So, nice. so Shamik introduced me to Hero. We met because we were working on an artist. Um, Hero was managing this artist and Shamik was producing for the artist. 
And so I just did a couple of mixes and tracking sessions, and I don't believe I charged, actually. I think that I did it completely free. Uh, and Hero and I just hit it off, and maybe about three months into working together, he mentioned, he was like, yeah, I do A&Ring for Akon. And I was like, okay, cool, you know? I don't know, I didn't know what that really meant or what that added up to, but as he, as the relationship that he had with Akon started to develop, it became a pretty obvious segue into my relationship with Akon. So Khan started building a studio in Burbank and Hero saw that as a way in, but the plan was always to put me in a position where I was engineering with Akon. This just happened to be a good way to walk in the door. So this was November of 2018, I want to say, or 17, something like that. I think it was November 2017. Oh gosh, this is getting tough. Uh, <laughs> And that's when I met Khan and started doing the technical consultation for that studio. But within six months, I was recording him over at my studio because he needed somebody in L.A. There you go. Bam. That's beautiful. So I love the fact that you tell us the, the, the uh, trajectory of how that all panned out. What I do want to talk about is the difference between uh, getting a mix engineer job versus a musician job. Oftentimes, musicians are auditioned, especially for live gigs, not really for studio. But engineers, you don't really have an audition for engineers. It seems like the engineer is like, hey, we're going to hire you. Come in, see how you do on this first session. If you do well, you got the job, right? I would say it's not even that. It's more <laughs> like, man, it's such a who you know business. So like, I just, yes. did, I just yes. did my first session with Andre 3000 from Outcast. I think mm -hmm. uh, four days ago. And he's one of my bucket list artists. The The way that I ended up getting that gig is that I know an engineer named Andrew Wepper, who does, he just did the Demi Lovato single. He mixed, um, how can I forget? It literally just came out. But he just mixed the, the Demi Lovato single that came out, and he's right. a buddy of mine. Turns out he's a buddy with Ken Oriel, who's Andre's engineer, and they needed a spot out, out in LA. So the little whisper down the lane of who you know, you know, Andre never listened to my work. Ken never listen to right. my work. Andrew has heard my work, but I'm sure he didn't like scrutinize it or anything like that. It's just they right. know who I am, they know my reputation, and they know I'm reliable. So they booked the session. And he came in, he did the session, and there we are. So that's it. Really, these things don't happen, and it's so true. And it is really the same way for musicians, especially in the studio scene. You have to have boots on the ground. You yeah. just have to start talking to people and hanging out. Yes. Yeah. People, people have to know you. This is why... A lot of people say you can do everything online and I, <laughs> you know, I'm not the youngest dude in the world, uh, but I, I am on the younger scale, I guess, overall. I don't think that that's really truly the case. I think you can do a lot online, but I think in order to really elevate what you're doing, you kind of need to be in person because people need to see your face. And that, right. that FaceTime is so much more valuable than, you know, FaceTime. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the real version of FaceTime. Yeah, exactly. The, it, like the, the kind video. of FaceTime where you can catch COVID. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. It's so true, man. I, you know, the old adage, out of sight, out of mind. You know, I mean, that's that's legit. No, that's real. Very legit. Like yeah. after, so after I did the Andre session, for example, the first thing I did was I talked to Hero to say, okay, what's the plan to make sure that I stay on these guys' minds so that the next time he needs a studio in LA, I'm getting the call directly. So we've sort of formatted a way of like following up and just a plan of, of making sure to stay in touch because I don't want this to be a one-time thing. I want to be a recurring uh, hire on for Andre. What, what you just said is worth 
its weight in gold a million times over. You know, expound on that, the concept that you actually formulated a plan, and it doesn't necessarily mean you sat down with pen and paper and wrote out a schematic, but you had a strong follow-up plan. Talk about that. So the idea is that, you know, we did this session, they know who I am, but then the question is, you know, what other opportunities can come from that? Because anytime you get an opportunity, it's just a step to another opportunity and has right. to be seen that way. So, you know, is there some kind of a relationship that could happen between Andre and Akon? You know, can we investigate that possibility? Uh, you know, how do I connect with Ken more regularly? He's a cool dude. I like him a lot. So, you know, no reason not to hit him up just to say what up or whatever it might be. And so to continue following that up and also to address whatever it is that they might need. So they were based in New York and now Andre is out in L.A. So, you know, they don't have a go to guy who is in L.A. Is there a way that I can fill that shoe? And I think that by mostly by connecting with Ken, I can sort of stay in the mix. But, you know, a month from now, I might have a record and I might send it off to Andre just to say, like, hey. I don't know if you're interested in doing a collaboration with Khan, but this is a record that we're working on. Whether he says yes or no, it gives me an excuse to hit the guy up. I love that. I love that. Always find an excuse to hit somebody up. And that is really the best follow-up strategy. Instead of just saying, hey, uh, you want to grab a coffee? <laughs> kind of have a reason. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. because, you know, the the goal here is that I need to provide value to these people. That's right. You know, they there's a million engineers who want the, that kind of a gig. And so, you know, I need to I need to show them that I'm good at what I do, that I'm reliable, that I'm trustworthy, that I'm somebody that's easy to get along with. And I had four hours to showcase that. And I feel like I did my thing. But I have to also remind them because, you know, people people on that level it's constant texts, it's constant calls, it's constant emails, it's constant meeting new people. It's just a sea and a blur of meeting new people. And that's right. You know, it's, I still have to, now that I've cut through one layer of even getting in the room, I now have to cut through that second layer and become a valuable person in this person's professional life. Man, so true. And you said the V word. I love that word value. You know, so many people are under the uh, notion that something is owed to them no it's the other way around you have to prove yourself you have to provide value to others yes continually continue yes thank you you're only as good as your last hit or your last you know accomplishment right you yes. have to continue i love that so so beautiful uh, I, you know this is great man because you're talking about the real shit once again um are you working on anything at the moment that you can speak of or is everything kind of hush no, I mean, I can talk about things. I, I can't necessarily divulge the ins and outs of everything. And right. I certainly can't, you know, discuss any of like how the session went on because there's private information in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, right now, the main thing on my plate is Khan's kids are uh, performing artists as well. So I'm working nice. on their projects, uh, you know, getting together some pop stuff for Khan because it's that's his main you know that's his big bag pop music right and right. so you know trying to get that right has been really difficult so working on that a lot um and yeah. in doing that actually i i'm making sure that shmeek and another friend of mine joe are involved right because now i've been working with khan it's always got to be a two-way street you know i'm mm -hmm. i'm let's 
use the word using, although it's a sort of a loaded term, but if I was using them to elevate my career, once I elevate my career, I need for them to use me to elevate their career, right? That's right. And that's the idea. The whole network grows together. So if Khan's working on a pop project to make it viable and sellable, if I can get them involved, get them some publishing, get them good credits, you know, not that they're not already doing that on their own, but if it can help them along, then that's a win for the entire team. It's a symbiotic relationship. Very much. That's how it works. Uh, when you work with Khan or other uh, artists of that uh, stature, are you producing, co-producing, mixing, recording, or all of the above? Are those different? <laughs> I, th I think those are the same thing at this point. They, they all get wrapped in, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because yeah. you know we're sitting in the studio and it's you know it's me and Khan and Khan basically self-produces, but you can't hear yourself while you're recording, so he's still relying right. on me in case there's a take that needs to be redone or in case he needs like a directive or a motive or something like that. So effectively, I'm doing vocal production very frequently, and the the longer I've been working with him, the more of it I'm doing. And then when I get the record, you know, it's like I might mix the record, but I'm also going to be adding drums sometimes, doing drops, mm -hmm. adding whole instruments. I've added backup vocals to a record. Wow. So, yeah. you know, it's like the job is just to be a guy who makes the record, helps to make the record successful, who glues it together. So I, I'm, I was, the, I'm the glue guy. I love it. I always say our job is to be the great facilitators. That's what, exactly. The whatever they need, we can facilitate. Yep. <laughs> Amen. There you go. Could I not, love that. Could not pick a better way of putting it. Yeah. Hey, you know, talk about for maybe the, the people who aren't familiar with, especially these higher level recording sessions, talk about studio etiquette. I feel like, once again, the, the online music culture is very different from the real life LA music culture, right? As we discussed. Yeah. When you step into a, a studio session with some heavyweights. What's the etiquette there? Well, the etiquette is really whatever they prefer because everybody's very different. Um, Khan and Andre, for example, are pretty much diametrically opposed. Khan likes it to feel like a party. So he's very loose, he's very in informal, and he, he has people there. Um, not recently because of COVID, but, you know, it used to be right. a revolving door, people coming in, hey, what up? And so, you know, everybody's walking through the door, partying, we're having pizza, things are fun. You know what right. I mean? We're keeping it loose. We're making fun of each other. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's one type of relationship. Now, with Andre, he's also very informal, but he likes to be comfortable. So he doesn't want a lot of people there because he's so famous that... He's, he doesn't want to be concerned with people taking pictures and interrupting what he's trying to do and being a distraction. And so that's a very closed session. And, you know, we specifically booked a studio that doesn't have multiple rooms so that he could just go in, do his thing, not have to worry. It was literally just me and Andre in that session because that's how he's comfortable. And yeah, so, you know, great. great, great facilitators. We are there to make sure that the artist is getting the best performance out, however that makes them comfortable. So, right. you know... Uh, the main and thing was just to ask. I love it. And read the room, right? Read the situation. Read the room for sure. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. Good stuff, man. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit. Talk about how you run your business because after all, the reason why I went with the career musician is because I want people to understand that just because you chose to do music and that you're a musician, 
it doesn't mean you can just dick off all the time. You have to treat it like a business. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, and that's that's the hardest thing I think for us because I'm still kind of getting that. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much stuff when it comes to like taxes and invoices and receipts and and yeah. understanding all that. So there's a couple of things that I definitely recommend that can make things easier and that are helping me. Although I'm not really a model when it comes to this stuff because I really oh, okay. am just starting to get it together correctly for the first time in now my twelfth, thirteenth professional year, something well, like I that. I love that candor. That's great. Thank you for being honest. Well, you know, it's not going to help if I just tell people that I'm like the <laughs> bomb at everything. I wish I could but, say that. <laughs> but we're all a work in progress. Learning, if we're not learning, you know, then we're not growing, right? So we have to keep learning. Yeah, I agree. So my my big thing that I learned recently was get a credit card that you can put every expense on. And so anytime yes. anything is conceivably an expense, just put it on the same card. Because when it comes time to do your taxes, most credit cards will automatically itemize your spending portfolio and it's That's so right. easy to fill out like your travel deductions and you don't have to go back through all of your receipts they're mostly all there so that that was extremely helpful then the other thing too is is like i'd say once you get over 50 grand of income a year if you can if you can break that little mark then it's time to look for a cpa because I, oh dude i always preach that yes 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 a, C, a cpa it's it's a pain because they're going to make you do stuff that you're not used to doing like holding on to receipts and things like that and i've actually let my relationship with my cpa lapse in the past which is why i'm <laughs> saying like i'm not really a model at this because i've i've dropped the ball on it i do so much stuff it's hard to keep up with the business side but that right. cpa you know no matter how much they're costing ultimately at the end of the day they're paying for themselves so you know that's just, Boy, that is so true. And it's going to save you a lot of time. And then, like you said, I love how you led with that. Get one card, put everything on there, and usually that, that company will, you know, break everything out, right, into deduction uh, areas because, you know, a lot of people might not even understand what it, what's deductible and what's not. Oh, when but you're an artist, the answer to that's everything. Is everything. Exactly. Here's, here's how it works. I'll, I'll paint the picture real easy for everyone. We pay both sides of taxes. We pay both the employer and the employee side of our taxes because we work for ourselves. We are both That's the employee right. and the employer. So our taxes are on average 7% more than anyone else in our income bracket. I pay the same taxes as a doctor. I do not, I'm doing okay, but I do not make right. doctor money. Right. <laughs> but the reason why the balance in that is that we're in the arts. And when you're in the arts, life is art. Anytime you go to the movies, anytime you go out to dinner with a colleague, even if you're just hanging out, take a minute to discuss your favorite microphone. That's a business meeting. If you're listening to the music that's playing in the department store, that is, what, how does it sound in the department store? Life is art. So almost everything is deductible and you have, you are expected to take those deductions. That extra 7% there is basically there to make up for the fact that we are deducting everything and, and everything else. That's right, man. So well said, brother. Thank you for sharing. See, you have your business together, man. You got it down, bro. Well, I know what I, I know. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know. And when it comes to like like the more technical side of like the actual business side of music, like how publishing works and things like that, I know yeah. all that information very thoroughly. Part right. of my tax situation is that I started a company to put myself on a salary, which is that's that's tax gymnastics. 
Um, right. That's how Donald Trump got away with it. <laughs> Probably but your CPA not. Will, well, your CPA will help you with all that, though. Yes, the CPA yeah. helps you with all that. Um, it's one of those things where you can throw a little bit of money at it, and then you have to take a day to fill out a bunch of forms. But it's not right. like the hardest thing in the world. So, you know, talking about business acumen, one of the things that comes up all the time is negotiating or cutting deals. Um, I think it's best to have representation if you can. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how where do you live in, in this concept? I think when you're starting out, you have to learn how to sell yourself. You you are your own rep representation and you will continue on a certain level to always be your own representation. But when you get to a certain point where you are really in the thick of it, you're you're working very regularly uh, and you need to elevate your career, you need somebody who is going to represent you and do that kind of stuff. Because first of all, you'll be taken more seriously. Second of all, you want somebody who knows the things you don't know, somebody who's really charismatic and can pitch and negotiate and can sell your value unabashedly without having to be humble or, or leave ego aside. You want somebody who's going to sell the living crud out of you. And it just makes a world of difference, especially if you don't have to take the time to do it. Hey, I'm Matthew Weiss, and you're listening to The Career Musician with Nomad. Being a career musician is more than just gigs and sessions. Are you a career musician? Find out on the Career Musician Podcast, streaming everywhere. Follow the Career Musician on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on the latest news and tips from the world's leading musicians. Part of that was a publishing company. When right. I registered it and you do a little description of what your company does, I included publishing. And as it turns out, to do publishing, you don't need any kind of certification or licensing or anything like that. You just have to say, I'm doing publishing. So okay. I can aggregate on my own behalf. We always do that when we're self-employed, in fact. Uh, but now it's just formally, I can aggregate on my own behalf. Exactly, exactly. Man, so who did you sign with as a publisher? Which PRO? Uh, I went with BMI, but that's nice. not... Now, that's not... That's derived from publishing, but that's not publishing. That's performance royalties. Right. And those are not the same thing, and I think people get those confused quite a bit. Beautiful. Let's break it down for them. Okay. So your publishing is is your percentage of the intellectual property you contribute to a work of art. So if you write down a lyric or a melody, then the intellectual property is going to be partially yours. That's determined on something called a split. That's where the people who are involved all agree, okay, you did this percentage of the work, you did this percentage of the work, you did this percentage of the work. And there's usually standards that people adhere to when it comes to that. But then they'll sort of ebb and flow and usually really big name artists will kind of like throw their muscle around and be like, this record's not going to sell if I don't co-sign it. So maybe give me some extra publishing. And you, <laughs> you know, that's the game. And you say, okay. That is the game. Now, from that publishing, that determines how your royalties are going to be distributed. So whenever a record is sold, you get you, a, a fund of money is generated called a mechanical royalty. And that mechanical royalty is split the way that the split determines. So that mechanical royalty goes to the publishing side and gets split. Same thing when somebody covers a song when somebody plays it on the radio, when somebody performs it live, those are all considered performances of the intellectual property. And every time that happens, it also generates a royalty for the publishing, right. which is then split as split, determined okay. by the split sheet. So, so you have your own publishing company. Yeah. What's the name of that company? 
It's Weiss Sound Incorporated. Oh, you said that. Thank yeah. you. Weiss Sound Incorporated. And you and BMI though is collecting the royalties on that side. That's okay. right. They're called and an ag- a, go sorry. Ahead, sorry. <laughs> They're called an aggregator. They aggregate specifically the perfor- they collect and aggregate the performance royalties right. exclusively. Not mechanical royalties. That's different. Still yes. belongs to the publishing side, just the performance. Now, as a writer, are you or a BMI writer? Uh, yes. Uh, no, no. I'm I'm registered as a publisher, actually. Just a publisher. So you're not registered as a writer at all. Uh, no. I have two accounts. Now that I think about it, I do have okay. because I do have writing on right. some records. So, I figured yeah. that because you have writing credits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's another again another misconception. People don't understand that they have to sign up both as a writer and as a publisher if you're writing and you are actually entitled to get some of your publishing. So in other words, if you're just a writer and you're just starting off. You don't really need a publishing company because no. you're not going to ever see that publishing. The record labels are going to get it and the big artists are going to get it and so forth. But you need that writer's account. Yeah. Right. And then once you expound on that and you can collect some publishing, like what you're talking about here, uh, like what Matthew's doing, it's very important that you have both. Yes. It, it, you need to have both if you plan to ever be the aggregator of publishing which means if you yourself want to act in the same way that maybe a record label might or a publishing company might so right. the in my mind Weiss Sound can become big enough where I can actually hire somebody to become the head of the publishing department and if I want to do a sync with a television show or something like that in particular, you know, I want to make my own contacts with people in the film business and the television business so that I can pitch the songs directly to their music supervisor acting as the publisher so they pay me straight up and I don't have That's to go right. through like, you know, I love BMG to death and and I love working with them, but for this particular thing I wouldn't have to go through BMG. This way I'm distributing the entire pie, not 50% of it. That's right. That's beautiful. And I love the, the, the way that you use aggregator to explain that. That makes perfect sense. So thank you for laying that out, man. That is beautiful. And anybody who's listening who does not understand the intricacies of publishing and how royalties work, do your homework. Just go to Google and just start digging in. Yeah. It's, right? it's I mean, very complicated. It, it right. really like, I still get certain things wrong thinking I'm right because there's just a lot of nuance to it. That's okay. Uh, it's just important to really know what you're looking at because, you know, this is your money, especially if, if you are a musician and you're going to want to do some writing. There's almost no musicians out that don't do some form of studio writing, songwriting, yeah. things like that. Like, this is a, a tremendous source of income. So it's important to understand how that money is getting to you. Very true. I, I would say it's about a third of mine, and I started off just as a guitar player, but then I would always get invited to write. So what, what Matthew is saying here is super important. Also, if you are a writer and you're building a nice catalog, a sizable catalog, you're going to want to get an administrator for that catalog because it's a lot of paperwork, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So this is where a more traditional publishing company makes a lot of sense because if you're doing a, a lot of writing... And, you know, I don't do a lot of writing. 
So if I'm working with somebody, I'm probably working with somebody else's material that I've contributed to, but it's probably like a, a friend of mine or something like that. If I make a contact with a music supervisor and we're working on a one-on-one -on -one level, then it makes sense that I give them the letter of direction to me, I aggregate it, I keep track of it because it's really one relationship. But if you're a musician where you're making, you're doing this literally every day and you've got, you know, 300 songs in rotation a year and you know because you know the quantity that you're probably doing and you're probably yeah. thinking compared to like the library guys it's not even that much because the library Thanks. guys are doing what 1500 songs a year thank you thank you for differentiating that yes well it's but see even even if you're not doing library quantity you're still probably doing a pretty vast quantity and that's you would right. spend as much time keeping track of it as you would actually making it and that's where you need somebody to administer and to also make sure that the aggregation is done appropriately love it love it okay so let's shift gears thank you for enlightening everybody with all of this business information let's switch it over now to uh, like the online community oh how did you get <laughs> how did you get involved with pro audio files you know so talk about that because once again you're taking your real world experience that you have with huge names in the biz and you're sharing your experience online so that's yep. you know where that's a very amazing uh that's magnanimous of you to give back. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, I appreciate that. It's also magnanimous of the artists that allow me to do it. Um, one right. of the things that I really appreciate about Khan is that, you know, he, he said, you know, if you're tasteful and tactful about it, you can use stuff that we've done to demonstrate ideas and do your tutorials so that you can make your money. And that's very big of him. Most artists are not really like that. That's right. Uh, so I mean, it's also it's it's magnanimous of of him as well, <laughs> and for all the other artists who have who have agreed to allow me to use their music and their art to demonstrate ideas. Um, Indeed, the way that started was back in God two thousand seven. I think was my first in house position in Philadelphia, and I was I was just working as an in house, and I was on Gear Sluts just you know reading up on things and sometimes people would have questions and i would answer those questions or i'd have an idea and i would share those ideas so i was making posts and i was doing responses and things like that and dan was sort of trolling around gear sluts at the time because he wanted to build pro audio files mainly as a means of actually helping to sell his um his uh software that he developed he developed ear training software called quiz tones which is it's really cool it's the there's a couple of things that do this now, but it's like it'll play like a tone and then you have to multiple choice pick out the frequency and, you know, it'll mm. EQ a song and you have to say what what was boosted or what was cut. Uh, it's really useful. It's actually. Brilliant. No, yeah, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. And it's and it's it works on the phone. So he was one of the I think he was the first to develop an app like that. Uh, but so Pro Audio Files was mainly a blog that was meant to help him sell this software. So he was strolling around looking for people that he could get to write articles. And he saw the stuff that I was doing and he said, hey, man, come on, come on on board. I can't really offer you a lot, but, you know, it's it's a paid gig and, you know, let's get it rolling. And so I started writing articles just talking about my experience. The very first one that I did was an article on recording strings because I had just recorded a string section. And I thought, hey, this is what I'm doing. Perfect opportunity. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was 2011. 
12, we decided to start doing video stuff and the video stuff started doing pretty well on YouTube. And so there wasn't a lot, this was still in the era where people weren't really teaching this stuff. People weren't talking about the experience. Everything was kind of still a little bit hush hush. The only big stuff out there by somebody who was like really well known was Charles Dye. He did, he did his tutorials back in like maybe 2006, something like that. Hmm. But then uh, Pensado's place had launched uh, maybe about a year or two after the Pro Audio Files, and he just wow. started giving everything away. Like, he literally was like, we're not going to have secrets anymore. And when he did that, that was really inspiring to me to say, well, if he can do this, then uh, there's no shame. I'm not going to be the one breaking the mold here and becoming the black sheep by, by you know, pulling back Divulging. the curtain. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think, I, think it's, I think that's really cool. And again, that's what makes the whole concept of YouTube University work is that, like you said, everybody's pulling back the curtain. And uh, it still allows for uniqueness because nobody's going to mix like you. You're you. No, I mean, there's actually one of the really cool things that's been happening recently. I joined a little private engineering network. And when I joined, a few of the people hit me up and they were like, yo, I came up watching your videos on YouTube. And I listened to their records and they sound better than mine. So I'm like, <laughs> which is what I want, which is that's perfect. Right. That's the best compliment that's that right. I could get in the world is to see people who started off by watching my tutorials and then they took it, they developed it in their own way to make something mm -hmm. new, make something better, and then became successful doing it. And, you know, um, the guy who does most of YG's engineering hit me up uh, and the guy who is Tyga's engineer and, and, and mixed and recorded a lot of those records hit me up same way and that's like, Man, nice. this is so cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, uh, any memorable moments that you've had in the studio? Something that was like fun or ridiculous or silly, whatever, you know. Oh, man. God, that's such a... There's I'm sure there's so, so many. many. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is I could rattle a bunch off, but yeah. I have to like pause and think about the ones that I can like talk about and the ones that right. I can't. Because some of this <laughs> stuff is like, eh, maybe yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's leave it off. But I'll, I'll share a really cool moment, actually. It was the, the first time I mixed a record for Khan. Where, where I played it back, we were on uh, set in the Dominican Republic for a record called Comentale, which I recorded in Miami. But at, when we did that, we recorded a bunch of other records too. And there was right. a record called Tequero, which now has Pitbull on it, but it didn't have Pitbull on it at the time. So uh, it was it was Khan and it was Ozuna actually. And so I did that mix because I had all of the track outs for everything. And I played it for Khan the only the the first time I had gotten a chance to actually sit down with him was on a boat, so we're out on a lake on a boat, and the boat has these like big hulking JBL speakers. So I play it for him in the laptop, and he says, "Man, I love it. Just turn up the percussion a little bit." So I turn up the percussion a little bit. And he's like, "Well, now we got to hear it." So I jerry rig like a like four different aux cables together because this is not how this is supposed to function. And I played the record out over these JBL speakers over this lake in in the DR, and it sounded awesome when wow. it came out over these speakers. I did not know yeah. how it was really going to translate to these speakers. So I was sure. like, and and it was the first record I had done from Khan. So it was like this is this is an important moment. But everybody there started going crazy. We played that record back like six times in a row. It was an awesome moment. 
That's awesome. That's like even better than the car test. It's the boat test. Yeah, it's the boat <laughs> test. Well, if it doesn't sound good on a boat, how are people <laughs> going to enjoy it? Yeah, exactly. That's beautiful, man. Hey, you know, wrapping things up, uh, any words of wisdom that you have? I mean, you've already shared quite a bit of, of wisdom, you know, bits, but, uh, you know, as a whole. Uh, there's, there's a saying, and I don't know where exactly I got it from. I might have even made it up. I hope I'm this clever, but it, it kind of goes like this. Success is not something that you achieve. It's something that you perpetuate. Nicely said. So, you know, it, it's a, it can be a climb. I've been doing this now professionally over 13 years, um, but about 13 years. And I really, I didn't start getting like major credits in a way that were like locked in and continual. Like I had big credits when I was an in-house engineer because a lot of people were walking through the door and that was really cool. But those credits were kind of fleeting and in between. But once I once I started locking in with Khan, then the credits started really rolling in a dramatic way. And it took 10 years to get to that point. I I was already doing well in terms of my personal career before then but i i'm constantly looking at growing and so even from where i'm at it's like okay but what what else what's next because it's not something that gets achieved it's something that builds and grows and once you stop growing like you said then you know the only things that don't grow are things that are dead brilliant love it love it do you mind if we do some rapid fire questions no i don't mind Favorite food? Oh, Vietnamese. Oh, nice. That's a new... I haven't gotten that one yet. Mama Hung's, man. You're in Burbank. Mama Hung's. Oh, Mama Hung's. Oh, man. You know, I've never had it. What? What are you doing? Okay. What are you see? doing with yourself? That's it. I'm done. Bye. Uh, <laughs> no, bro. See, this is a good excuse. After this COVID BS, you, you got to take... We got to go. Yeah. I you got know? you. Let's, let's go kick it. Teach me. Teach me the way, sir. I, well, as soon as as soon as COVID's over in 2025, we'll go. <laughs> well, God, 20, I hope I'm joking. <laughs> it could be 2028. I don't know yet. We'll have to see. I know. For crying out loud, it's crazy. Uh, favorite libation, adult beverage of choice, perhaps. Uh, martini. Ah, vodka martini or gin martini. Uh, I like both, but more and more, I've been into vodka martinis. Nice, nice. Do you like it dirty with the olive juice and everything? I, I like it where you can taste the olive juice a little and where you can taste the vermouth. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Perfect combination. Favorite sport? Um, I'm not really a sports guy, but I do a, I do a lot of boxing personally. So Awesome. Yeah, so I would say boxing. That's great. That's great. How do you spend your free time, assuming you have any? With, with my girlfriend. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And uh, do you prefer to be drive? Do you to prefer to be driven, or do you like to drive? I mean, it depends on what we're into that night. There you go. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. And how about those long flights? Besides sleeping, what do you do on those? I don't sleep on flights. I cannot okay. sleep on a plane. I'm the uh, same way. If I if I can watch a movie, that's my preference. Sometimes, believe yeah. it or not, I have to work. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Hey, th thank thank goodness for the laptops on a plane, right? Laptops Beautiful. on a plane. There you go. <laughs> That's true. I've I've mixed some big records on airplanes. 
That's awesome. What have you listened to lately that you had no professional affiliation with? Uh, the Miley Cyrus record that just came out, the single that just came out, Midnight Sky, I think it's called. We've been playing that on repeat. I had nothing to do with that record at all, but it is so good. So that nice. one, I can't wait for her album. It's going to be awesome. Beautiful. Any particular artist that changed you? When you heard this artist, you were like, oh, man, that's it. My, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but I'd say, aside from Khan, the most influential artist on my career in my career was probably KRS-One, and the reason was because I was I was sort of I was young I was very young and I was doing a show at Temple University where I had I had produced the records and I was also performing live doing vocals and with with some buddies of mine and I was hanging with him backstage and I we were just sort of chopping it up and I said like you know I I love making the music but I also really love engineering it and I don't know what exactly I want to do. I'm trying to figure it out. And he said, you know, the easiest way to find your light is to help somebody else stand in theirs. And nice. I took that very literally and said, you know what? I want to engineer these records because that's what engineering is. It's helping somebody stand in their light. That's excellent, man. So cool. So cool. All right. Are you guys streaming anything that you're digging right now? TV uh, shows, movies? Yeah, we just finished Lovecraft Country, which is uh -huh. a really it's it's cool. There's some character stuff that's left to be desired, maybe a little bit, but it's it's a good watch. And then uh, we started watching The Haunting of Hill House again. Uh, a little scary, huh? I love that. It's it's October, man. Of course, <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Shopping brick and mortar or online, of course, pre or post COVID. Uh, I mean, pre COVID, it it was more going to the stores. But post-COVID, you know, I, I almost feel guilty using Amazon, but, I mean, I use I, Amazon. I, I mean, it's the lifeline these days, you know? <laughs> it yeah. is. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. Right. I know that it's a terrible company in so many respects, but sometimes you just need paper towels. <laughs> I, I get it, and I feel you on that, too. Uh, dream collaboration. You've had so many great ones already. Is there anything that hasn't happened? <sighs> I mean, there's so many artists that I want to work with that I would love to work with. That's part of the reason I'm so gassed up about the Andre 3000 thing is he was such a bucket list artist for me. So I want, right. I want to work with him on a project. He discussed a project that I can't share, but right. I, I, as soon as he told me the idea behind it, I was like, please get me involved in this. So that, yeah. that to me would be a dream. Um, you know, there's, there's so many artists. God, I couldn't possibly I name just one. Excellent. And I'm I'm Excellent. excited about everybody I work with. I, here's here's my real dream, my real dream artist. So I have two producer friends that I dragged out to L.A., Shamik and Joe Lowry. And what I really want is for those guys to become so successful that I engineer primarily for them. There you go. That is see, that's about you know really that symbiotic relation relationship we're talking about. Yep, that's beautiful. All right, and finally, drum roll here. What would you do if you were not a career musician? Oh my god, dude, I'd be, I'd be so screwed. <laughs> I, I have no. I'll tell you, the closest thing I ever had to a profession otherwise was was playing poker. And there were some rough times wow. in there, and I used poker to supplement my income. Ah, uh, so you'd be one of those guys on ESPN, like for like millions of dollars playing. Yeah, but here's the thing: they all go broke. 
So it's really? not it's not really a viable career. It looks wow. like one, but it's not. It's a recreational activity at best. So I, if I don't have music, man, I have nothing to fall back on. Which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think there's a case to be made either way. Look, man, I'll tell you this: we're gonna reach a hundred episodes by New Year's Eve, and I'm on. I think you're in the '80s somewhere. And out of all these episodes, I think it's the common thread. All of us are doing this because we're passionate about it. Yeah, you know, we stopped it, doing everything else once we really honed in on it. Like I, when I was in school, right. I was doing. I went from math to I went from writing to math to. Uh, I guess a couple other things got mixed in there. I studied the myths of ancient Mesopotamia and I studied physics. Yeah. And by the time I was like a year and a half in, I was like, what am I even doing? Like, right. And then as soon as I moved to music, it was a wrap. I never, I never followed through on any of the other stuff because I was already there. I figured it out. So it was just a hundred percent. Here we are. That's it. That's your lifeline, man. That's your passion. I love it. Matthew Weiss, thank you so much for being a guest on The Career Musician, my friend. Nomad. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you rule, dude. I try. <laughs> I love it. Go behind the scenes with host Nomad to gain inside knowledge of entertainment business from the world's leading musicians, artists, producers, managers, and more. You're listening to the Career Musician Podcast by Nomad. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man. Writing the songs in this one man band. A nomad. This is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info.